Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. The role of Christ and angels in international affairs. Today, you and I are obviously overwhelmed as we look at the media and we listen to it of nations rising against nations. North Korea shooting missiles over other nations. The things that have and continue to go on in Afghanistan. It is unbelievable of the amount of misery that evil men can create. And we see that. And we recognize that, and rightly so, because it is true. We look historically of Nero and all through history to some of our modern days, such as Hitler and Mussolini and other well-known evil leaders that destroyed their own cultures and destroyed millions of people. And we see them as evil. And yet behind that, in a, one of the unique, most unique chapters in all of the Word of God, is Daniel chapter 10. Because Daniel enables us this morning to kind of pull the curtain back from the stage of world events. And there we see that which is behind evil. Because it too is evil. We see angelic beings are behind every evil leader. And perhaps since the Enlightenment age in which we began to reason all things out and no longer needed God, we began to reason that these angelic beings that the Bible talks about really are just things of the imagination and uh, really are of little concern of us. In fact, it has affected all of us even as believers because rarely do we talk about angelic beings behind and influencing the leaders of the world, the nations of the world. And in this chapter 10 of 21 verses, God just allows us to see what we normally don't see, but we should see, because it is essential to our understanding of a worldview. These angelic beings, we understand there are good ones, And there are those who are evil, are fallen angels, those who rejected God. And they made a one-time decision to follow Satan. And so that has set the course of history. And so Daniel rolls back the curtain, and we're going to look at that this morning in some detail. And I trust it will give us a healthy understanding of what is going on in this present hour in the angelic world. We will learn of Christ's role in international affairs, how the angels play within international affairs, and how Christ is going to bring in a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a figurative way of speaking. That is a literal kingdom in which Christ prayed, and as the disciples asked him in the Gospels, how should we pray? And one of the phrases there, thy kingdom come on earth as it is 
in heaven. There is a time coming still yet future to us. Obviously, it's not today. But there is a time coming when God's will that is done in heaven will be done on earth perfectly. We call that the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign of Christ literally on this earth. And actually, when you look at that and you look at history and you look at the present hour, you'd say, what is this all about? How do you make sense of all the evil in the world? This is how you make sense of it. It's perfectly clear in Scripture that everything revolves around basically one nation, the nation of Israel. It revolves around Almighty God, obviously, who is sovereign and who is going to bring His perfect kingdom to earth. And there is one being that is enormously upset about that, and that is Satan himself. Well, Let's look at this, and we're going to, let me just give you just a taste of the background. Uh, we're still in that period of time of Persian rule, the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus is the king of Persia. He has just allowed some 50,000 Jewish captives. They have been extracted from their homeland for 70 years. Cyrus, influenced by God, has given a decree that 50,000 of these Jewish people which included Nehemiah and Ezra, to go back to their homeland and reconstruct their temples so they could do their worship and also build up the walls of Jerusalem for safety. But they're not doing well. They've run into a lot of problems. The immediate nations around them are causing them all kinds of havoc. And Daniel, who is still in the government position in Persia, is sickened by this. He has not been able, probably because of either his commitment or because of his age, because he's in his 80s by this time. And Daniel has been mourning because he begins to realize that the freedom that these 50,000 Jewish people, the freedom they have is going to be short-lived. That really is not going to be a lasting peace. There is still a time coming when utterly the nation of Israel will almost be exterminated. The prophet Zechariah says that there are two-thirds of the nation of Israel still in the future that are going to be eliminated. Based upon present-day figures, somewhere between 15 to 16 million Jewish people. So that means that 10-plus millions of Jews are going to be wiped out. And that's the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation hour. Only a third will go into the millennial kingdom. And Daniel is just to the point of absolute wailing and mourning. He's been fasting for 21 days because he sees the plight of his nation that really it's going to be a short-lived liberation of these 50,000 and what lies ahead is absolutely a destruction of the Jewish people, except for a third. What do we want to concentrate on this morning in this wonderful passage? Well, the big point would be this. The powerful influences in international affairs are not human rulers. And that's our tendency, and I understand that, and rightly so. We focus upon who are the bad guys around the world. Well, the bad guys are influenced by 
bad angels. And they have enormous power and enormous influence upon the nations. America as well. And every nation around the world, Satan has his army of angelic beings of evil influence upon national leaders. Why should we pray for our national leaders? I'll tell you why. Because they have a bullseye on their back. Because what the scripture tells us, and we'll learn again in Daniel chapter 10, is that these angelic evil beings, demonic beings, influence the national leaders of every nation to be against, number one, Israel, and number two is to do everything to cause havoc with God's plan. That's the simple way of understanding, yes, we can understand what's going on. Do we understand everything God has in store? No, because he hasn't told us. But do we understand evil from that perspective? Yes. Do we understand why evil men do evil things? Yes. Do we understand why nations want a war against other nations? Yes. Because Satan's main focus is to take God's universe and create havoc out of it. And that much we can understand because that's what we will learn this morning in chapter 10. Well, let's pray as Daniel was. Father, we need your enablement for understanding, for clarity of this chapter 10. We want it not just to be a history lesson. We do not want it just to be a prophetic lesson of understanding or just having knowledge. But Lord, we profoundly desire that you would enable us to see the application, to see the personalness of us of it and how we fit in and how we ought to pray and how we ought to be concerned and to be concerned about ourselves because even as believers and even though we cannot lose our salvation because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit yet Satan will do everything in his power to bring havoc to our lives and you have given us the wonderful enablement by your spirit Lord to be victorious over that And may the world see us being victorious as individuals. May we become better informed and able to pray for our national leaders, and not only ours, but for every nation of this world. And yet we have this ultimate confidence that one day Christ will come literally to this earth, and he will establish his kingdom for a thousand years in We as believers will rule and reign with him. And the nation of Israel, God, will complete his promise. And they will be the head of all nations. And Satan will be defeated and bound for a thousand years. It is true, our Father, you have taught us we win, we win, we win. For those of us who follow you. And we rejoice in that. Enable us to be your disciples to a lost and dying world. For Christ's sake we ask it. Amen. Well, come with me to chapter 10, and we want to read carefully the first nine verses because this is a message that Daniel now is receiving from an angelic being. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the message was true. Now, just carefully look at the text. This message is true, meaning it is certain, it is reliable because it comes from a messenger that God has sent. And one of the, excuse me, 
The message was true and one of great conflict. This message is reliable, but its subject matter is it is about great conflict among the nations of the world. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision, referring to Daniel. He understood the message. He had an understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. What was he mourning about? Well, as I mentioned, it could have been because of the discouragement among the 50,000 Jewish people that had gone back to their homeland. That may be it, may be part of it, but certainly Daniel now was beginning to understand that the future for Israel is horrible. And it's going to take a time of Jacob's trouble to get Israel to look to their God, their Messiah, and say, we repent. And then he will bring the kingdom. So Daniel is waiting on God in prayer concerning Israel's destiny. And what he sees at this point utterly puts him on his knees. In verse 3, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. Now, you'd say, well, how do I understand that? Well, I'm not sure I can clarify that. It is what it is, but for my own mind's sake, I could do this. What if an angel were to come to you or to myself, and they were revealed to us about our family's future? And we would see in this vision from an angel, from God, who was giving us a message, and we would see the utter destruction of our family. We would see the ones that we love probably the most, facing disease and tragedies beyond our conceivableness to understand. We would see this. It would put us on our knees. And we would probably say, oh God, may it not be so. And as Daniel, as he walked from day to day, went about his administrative business for this nation of Persia, being Jewish himself, you can see how it put him to a place in which he was mourning and fasting, seeking to have clarity of understanding. Oh, how I wish I was that serious about understanding God and the future of mankind, to read the Bible? Well, in verse 4, it says, On the 24th day of the first month, while I, Daniel, was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man, Dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz, his body was also like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes like the flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult or a riot, we would say today. Well, who is this one? Well, let's not jump to absolute certainty. Certainly it is. It has reference, it's similar to what we read in Revelation 1 of Christ. That's a possibility. But it's also a possibility. There are some problems with that view, and I won't take you through all of that, but it's either Christ or it's another angelic being. Let's leave it at that. In verse 7, then, he says, Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. While 
the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread, a great trembling fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. Whatever they, whatever they were about to see or whatever they were sensing, only Daniel saw the vision. Whatever they sensed was so horrifying that they ran and hid themselves. So I, Daniel, was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me. Some of us have heard tragedies in our family. And we know what it means to be left strengthless. It's just like life has poured out of you. You're just absolutely cannot comprehend. So it was with Daniel. And it says, As I was left alone and saw the great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly paler, or turned pale. And I retained no strength. This was, what he was seeing was so devastating. But I heard the sound of his words, of this being, angelic being. And as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Maybe a reference to a trance. Now, what's the purpose of this message? What's this really all about? Well, notice in verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, high status and value and honor. And here he gives two commands. I command you, Understand the words that I'm about to tell you. And stand upright. I want you to stand at attention, would be one way of translating that. Be respectful. Be listening. I command you to understand. You know, we can use that to illustrate and as a principle. When you and I read the word, why do we read it? Well, God says, I command you to read it for the purpose of what? Of understanding it. It's not that what? It's not the fact that I'm going to now just bless you with all good things and no bad things from your point of view. Or, you know, this is like a fetish. If I read the word, everything's going to be okay. All kids are going to be healthy. Nobody's going to get sick. No, that's not the point here. The point is, I, I command you to understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright. The reason is, for I have now. might be good to underscore that. For I have now been sent to you. Somebody has sent me. God has sent me. To give you this vision and command you to understand it, to take it seriously. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you, watch what happens here. From the first day that you, Daniel, you purposed, you set your heart on understanding this. You ever listen to people sometimes about the Bible? Well, you know, 
just some things we will never understand, which is true. But we don't even try sometimes to understand. Do you ever find yourself that way? Well, that's just too difficult. Just think for a moment of the things that you've said are too difficult to understand. Have you ever prayed about understanding them? Or is it an excuse? Well, that's just over my head. Well, it just doesn't make sense. Don't want to go there. Don't go there. It is true that you and I will never comprehend everything in the Bible. But you know what? Quote, I want to die trying. Don't you? I want to die trying. Because it's about our God. If he took the time to write it, I want to take the time to be serious about understanding. There's deep things in Scripture. Why are they ever deep? And most of those deep things I haven't comprehended yet. But I'm not going to put them out and say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to stay with the simple things. And that's the way you will be the rest of your life. It's very simple in your walk with the Lord. And that's not a good simple. God stretches us because God gives us difficult, deep things so that we come to him and rely upon him. How many of you have prayed in recent days about understanding John 3.16? Probably not. Neither have I. It's one of the things, not not that we shouldn't, but that's one of the verses we say, I think I got that one. I think I got most of that one. And one of the reasons why God doesn't make everything like John 3.16 is saying, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. One of the things that in one sense has tormented me all my life is the sovereignty of God. Now some of you think I really believe I got that one straight. Well, I do, but I don't think I got everything about the sovereignty of God straight. You probably have those things as well. Well, he said, since that day, the first day, you set your heart on understanding this. And here's the second thing. And on humbling yourself before your God. Come to the word of God, set upon understanding it and being humble. And say, Lord, without your enablement, I'm not going to get this. I don't have a chance. But, Lord, I depend upon your spirit to teach me. He is my teacher. This seems to be a criteria. This is a prerequisite. He says, your words were heard. That tells us a little something about prayer. Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. We got it. Your prayer, your request, we got it like that. And I have come in response to your words. But the response wasn't instant. It's been 21 days. The prayer was received the first day. It seems to suggest that when you and I pray, God gets it the first time. The response sometimes can be delayed for a whole host of reasons, and some of those we will probably never be able to understand. But Daniel acknowledges this, and the messenger clarifies this. We got it the first day, but it's been 21 days. Now, why the delay? Why wasn't there an instant response? Well, let me just, for a moment, take you to James 1.5, which is not an answer to that question, but it fits here. Because it tells us about lacking wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. 
I think that ought to be our first response, don't you? When we need wisdom, we sense that we lack wisdom, our first response shouldn't be the pastor, shouldn't be an elder. It should be God. And God, I'm asking you for wisdom. Now, you may want to talk to spiritual leaders and your shepherds about, I think I got it. Do you think, would you agree with this or would you disagree with this? Whatever it may be. Counsel. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. It's kind of like, God, would you please clarify for me, I still don't get this six days of creation. Now, God, I obviously know it wasn't six 24-hour days, but would you give me some clarification here? What? You just told God he didn't know what he was talking about, and now you ask to clarify your point of view from God, which may not be his point of view. It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? You see, when we come and we have our own personal private view and we ask God to clarify and strengthen our private view, it may not be the scriptural view. Let's just take it like it is unless God really clearly says it's not like that. Is it possible for God to create all things in six days? Well, I think so. Okay, until he tells me of absolute proof <laughs> that it didn't happen that way, I'm going, can God wipe out billions of people in a universal flood? Well, until there is absolute proof that it didn't happen that way, and there is no absolute proof to this day that has been presented. There has been proofs, but not absolute proofs. Okay, you get the point. And so he says here in James again, but we must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. You can't come to the Lord and ask when we're double-minded, we're unstable in all our ways. You know, sometimes people say, I, I, know I, I know I'm living in sin, but could you just... Help me understand this truth. Well, I think probably what we first ought to do is understand the truth about sin, that it needs to be what? Confessed and forsaken. And then we open ourselves up to know a little bit about what? Truth. It's amazing, the statements that we say. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Daniel 10:13. But the prince, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who is this? A prince? I mean, is that somebody that's a little lower than the king? Certainly not the queen. Well, that's the way you ought to study the Bible. Ask yourself questions. Wow, maybe this is the first time you've ever seen this verse. Well, it'd be proper. You're a sharp guy or gal if you say, well, who is this prince? Well, it's the fallen angel of Satan, and I'll prove this in just a moment, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. So if he's withstanding the man who is going, or the, the, angelic being that's going to bring a message to Daniel can't be a good guy, can't be a good being. It has to be somebody that's evil. 
to stand in the way of God's message. That's the first indication. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, that we know later in Scripture, Jude 9, for instance, that Michael is the protector of Israel, as evil angels, demonic beings, seek to influence leaders of nations for evil, there are good angels who are protectors. This is behind the curtain that Daniel is rolling back by God's enablement, and Daniel is being able to see, quote, what goes beyond what goes behind the curtain? What's going on this very hour? There are demonic beings influencing national leaders. And there are good angels who are protectors. Now then. He says, one of the chief princes came to help me. This messenger who was an angel needed help. For I have been left there with the kings of Persia. He had been there to withstand these evil ones. Now I have come to give you an understanding. And folks, this is really important here. It's so important, I would encourage you to take your lipstick tube out and color it in. Okay. Not you guys. You guys can use a pen. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. Daniel, I'm going to tell you, I've pulled away from the defense in the angelic world regarding the evil ones of Persia. I've come to give you an understanding specifically of your people for the vision pertains to the days yet future. primary attack of all evil beings of all nations is one in particular. Guess who? It's not the United States. It's not China. It's not Russia. It's not Iran. It is Israel. Folks, we have lost focus if we have lost focus, we have lost focus because we're so overly concerned about the nations of the world. And we're not concerned about Israel. Israel is Satan's prime target today. Why? Because it is this nation that God has decreed to be the head of all nations and a light to the world in the millennial kingdom. And Satan will do everything in his power. Now, since the cross and the resurrection, Satan knows that he's doomed. But that doesn't mean that he does not take great pride in causing shame to God and his children Israel and to you and I as believers and to cause havoc on this earth to discourage people from placing their faith in Christ. And I tell you, if you're here this morning without Jesus Christ, Satan will continue to bring havoc into your life and cause confusion because he does not want you coming to Christ. You say, how does that fit in all of your sovereignty of God, Pastor? It fits very well. God knows how it fits. I don't. But I'm willing to leave it with him. There's no doubt there is the sovereignty of God. And there is no doubt that you and I are responsible for our choices. 
Now, let me take you one step further here. So, demons are assigned to political leaders of all the countries, influencing country after country after country. You cannot listen. I cannot listen to the daily news without this background because my view will be skewed. Why does Iran do what it does? Why does the Arab world do what it does? Why does the Muslim world do what it does? Why does China and all the nations of the world? Because they are in bondage to bring havoc to this earth. And now America, beginning to turn its back on who? And when we turn our back on Israel, it's not because Israel is such a godly nation today. That's not the point. The point is that God is using Israel to bring himself glory in the future. And when our country turns, may I just interject this in my humble opinion, God is not the least concerned about our economy. Our economy is a result of our sin. And our sin is our rebellion against God and our failure in many ways to protect the nation of Israel. And if you want to say, well, what was the blessings of our nations for over 200 years? It's because we've always been kind to Jewish people, God's people, even when they haven't been kind. In Great Britain, United States, and a handful of other nations have been Israel's protector. And if it was not for our countries today and God's enablement, Israel would have been pushed into the Mediterranean Sea a long time ago. And so this is not a political issue just to be concerned about Israel. These are, Israel is still in God's picture, and Satan knows that. So when we pray, the foremost thing that I understand scripturally we should pray for is that our leaders will understand what the real issue is. And that they, if they are not, they would come to Christ personally. Then they would have a clear picture. But the economy is just, it is just the result of our ungodliness. And this is what sometimes really, <laughs> what's a good word here? Don't help me out. This is what distracts me and gives me high blood pressure. No, that's not true because I don't have any. I give high blood pressure, I don't have high blood pressure. But this is what concerns me. We're, the focus of the American citizens is that we've got to straighten out this economy and we've got to straighten out our health plan. Those are problems, but those are symptoms. That's a result of what we're missing, and we still don't get it. It's about God, and it's about God's plan. It's about what God wants for America. Enough said. But we're not going home. I'm going to read a series of verses with very little comment, but I want you to catch the flow. These princes, I want you to see, and, and many of you understand this perfectly well, but let's just do a quick review. The princes, the, these demonic beings, how do they all fit? Well, in Ephesians 2.2, in which you, Paul says, 
formerly walked according to the course of this world, before you came to Christ, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Well, it's not the Holy Spirit. Who causes people to be obstinate? Right. The prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whose case the God of this world, well, it's not, it's not the true and living God, it's not Christ. How do we know that? In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. God wouldn't do that so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Obviously that's demonic. Sin blinds us. Demonic beings make sure we stay blinded. And the only way that that can be broken is by the power of Almighty God. You understand that. In Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Even though we do struggle, we don't like people putting a 38 to our face and robbing us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers. Where is the real struggle? It's about... Rulers, it's about powers against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in hot, heavenly places. Daniel chapter 10 just re- puts and says, there it is. It's the demonic beings. That is the, those are the ones that influence individuals to be robbers and murderers. And it has been 300 years Basically, as we walk our way back through church history, the age of enlightenment, oh, now we don't need a God. We can reason this out. We now are intellectual. We are intelligent. We don't need an archaic book telling us things we don't know. We know it all now. And so, even within Christianity, we kind of look at angels and say, well, yeah, they're nice. They probably fly around here someplace. In Jude 9, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare to pronounce against him a railing judgment. Now this is something to take home. I guarantee if you turn on the media tonight, you will find people who are saying, what you need to do is rebuke the devil. And you need to tell him to stop. Well, Jude 9 has a better way. Do not pronounce against him a railing judgment. As some say, be gone. Imagine a human being saying to Satan, be gone. Wow. It doesn't sound very biblical because Jude 9 says... The Lord rebuke you. (laughs) I don't want to face Satan. And then in Matthew 4, 8. This was during the temptations of Christ. Again, the devil took him, Christ, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. How could he do that? Because he's the ruler of this world. Does God still remain sovereign over all? Yes. Yes. But the kingdoms of this world, the devil took him and showed him the kingdoms of this world 
and their glory. And he said to Christ, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. It's interesting, this is prior to the cross, not after the cross. It's a bona fide offer. If you will fall down and worship me, there will be no crucifixion. Come on, Christ, take the easy way out. Satan knew what it was at stake. Christ knew what it was at stake. And in verse 10, Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, good angels came and began to minister him. Certainly wouldn't have been bad angels. Satan offered him to forfeit the cross experience, and I will give you the kingdoms. And we would have lost it all if Christ would have submitted. Obviously he didn't. Because the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ sealed the doom of Satan forever. Then the last one in this series is 1 Corinthians 15, 24. In this section, then comes the end. When he, Christ, the context is Christ in the previous verses. When he, Christ, hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he, Christ, has abolished all rule and all authority and all what? And so at the end of the millennial kingdom, when Christ puts down the last revolt of Gog and Magog, then he offers the kingdoms. Now Christ rules in the heavens. Not only does he rule as he always has, but now his will is done in heaven as it always has been. But now his rule is now done on earth and the new heavens and the new earth. And Satan is defeated. That is what is at stake in Daniel. And Daniel's been given this vision. In verse 15 of Daniel 10, would he, back to the good angel, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground, became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him, who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength. I can't take any more. Lord, I cannot see any more future destruction to our people. Nor has any breath been left to me. This is all I can take. You ever tried to minister to people in anguish? I just can't take anymore. They just want to sit in silence. And then in the latter verses, the promise here is to explain Israel's future. Now Daniel can't handle it. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, oh man of high esteem, greatly favored, highly loved, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Shalom. In Hebrew. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I received what? Strength. And I said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. I can handle more. By your enablement, 
I can do this. Then he said, do you understand, do you understand, Daniel, why I came to you? Well, yeah, because you come to give me the future of Israel. But I shall now return to fight against the prince, against the evil spirit of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince, the evil spirit of Greece, who Daniel knew nothing of in 536 B.C., because Greece doesn't come on this scene to 333. And behold, the prince, this evil spirit of Greece, is about to come. And that empire is about to develop And it will seek to crush Israel. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince, the protector of Israel. You say, well... What's he going to tell him? What is he going to reveal to Daniel that without God's enablement he can't stand to hear? What is it? You've got to come back next week. Because that's Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12. Found nowhere else in Scripture. Now there are supporting verses to what we're going to see in 11 and 12. But it was only revealed to Daniel. Why did God reveal this to a prophet named Daniel? Was it just for Daniel's sake? No. It was to give hope to the nation of Israel that it's not over with. And as long as you rebel, as long as you reject, and within 500 years, the nation of Israel would be standing in basically in the streets of Jerusalem saying, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon our children. You are not our Messiah. You talk about a faithful God. Greatly scattered throughout the world, Jewish people have been greatly under God's hand of discipline. God has never left them, nor will he ever forsake them, and he will bring them through a time of Jacob's trouble that will almost annihilate the whole nation. But God will lovingly do that to preserve a third, because God always keeps his promise. God always keeps his promise. Well, let's close this morning with just a reminder of that which we have sought to center our attention around. The powerful influencers in international affairs this day, and that which you and I will hear of tonight or tomorrow morning, behind these evil men and women of our world are evil angels who influence them to do their evil. No, we cannot stop them. Only God can. But we can certainly get the message out that your hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. There's two lessons I think ought to come to the forefront in our learning experience this morning. Number one would be this. Satan and his evil angels' sole purpose is to dishonor God by destroying Israel and the church. 
to continue to create havoc in 2010 until the Lord comes. That's the reason why you and I ought to give special attention to loving our Lord. Let's not be a part of the havoc. The world has enough. The last thing the world needs to see is havoc in the church. Gossip, rumors. Not that I know that we're dealing with that in these days. But I'm just saying, why start? Why do we, would we ever want to fall into the hands of Satan? Why would we ever want to create havoc before a watching world but not, by not loving one another unconditionally? Resolving our conflicts, resolving our questions, doing things right for the glory of God. Let us be a light. It's one thing to spill out the gospel, which we should, but let's also live the gospel. Let's live the gospel. And I'm thankful that we have committed people doing that. Secondly, understanding God's truth comes from a commitment. I will never understand what I should understand unless I am committed to understanding and I wrestle with it. Yesterday, just as a side note, was one of those difficult days. Daniel chapter 10 is one of the most difficult chapters for me. Now, some of you read it the first time and you got it. I don't like you, but you got it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> my family was out doing their things so that I would have peace and quiet in my home office. And by the time they came home and they were done being peaceful, um, I was still struggling with this passage. And I struggled with it to the wee hours of the morning. Why? Because I want to understand. You want to understand. Does that make me spiritual? That's, that's not my point. My point is this is the most valuable piece of information that this universe has. And God has given us his spirit to understand. And God's just not going to let it come quickly just because we want it to be quick. God, give me understanding so I can go out and have some fun with my family too, <laughs> you know. God says, no, there are times, there are times I want you to struggle. I want you to be on your face before me and saying, God, I just don't get it. And God, how can I tell other people if I don't understand it? Understanding God's truth comes from a commitment to understand and be humble before him. Don't quit too soon in your studies. When you hit a roadblock... Keep it before the Lord. Be humble. Study it. Sometimes you have to put it aside. Now, if it's Saturday and Sunday's coming, and it always does, you don't have that option, <laughs> okay? You Sunday school teachers and others. But sometimes we do have to walk away from it and get a fresh perspective and come back to it. We understand that. Well, isn't he a wonderful Lord? Isn't he a fantastic God that you and I have the privilege to fellowship with this being called God who died for us that we might know him and to know him in a relationship. And so let us pray in a godly way. Lord, I pray that our leaders of our country and every country of this world would somehow, some way, Lord, that they would not fall susceptible to the evil influences. 
Lord, this is Satan's world here on this planet. But it will not always be this way. There is a day coming when that which is true in heaven and your will is done without any sin will come to this earth and it will happen here by the promise of Almighty God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you revealed to Daniel and was written down precisely without error, guided by your Spirit that today in 2010 we have the wonderful privilege to read it, to understand it, and to be comforted and to have right perspective about Israel and their needs and about satanic influence and wicked leaders throughout our world. We understand where it comes from. And Lord, we bow before you, not to be apathetic, but to challenge us to be your servants. Wherever you may lead us to whatever country of the world, you may take us to dispel darkness with the light of the gospel. May it be so. And may we tell it to our children. Oh, we thank you. And Father, as we just pause for a moment to worship, to respond to you of who you are, we want to respond with great joy. May we just take a few moments and express that joy to you personally. And for those who may not know Christ, when they came in today, may they be so overwhelmed and influenced by your spirit that now they would say, tell me, what, what do I need to do? And Lord, may they right now where they are seated say, Lord, I do know this. I tell you, I have sinned. I have brought shame to you. I have not obeyed you. And you have told me that I need to confess that. I need to agree with you, and I do. And I want to change. I want to walk away. I want to repent. I want to change my mind. I want a different life. And I want it for you, just not for me. I want to live for you. I want to honor you. I want to be taught how to do that. And Lord, just as simply as I know how, Lord, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I receive you as Christ, my Savior. I bow my knee to you. I surrender my life to you. Lord, we thank you for your work in the lives of all of us. May it be true of someone today who has never known you before, but now do because they say, yes, I believe that I receive that. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.